Hey there, retail leaders. It's Steve Worthy. Before we jump into our episode that I know you are going to enjoy, I've got a little something that I think you'll like. You know how we always talk shop and we share insights here, right? Well, I put together this newsletter. It's called Worthy Retail News. Here's what it does. It allows us to continue our candid dialogue. It's another way for us to provide straight talk conversations and stories and even some more behind the scenes perspectives from top professionals in the retail industry. Just click the link in the show notes to subscribe or better yet, you can go to worthyretailnews.com. It's just that easy. Worthyretailnews.com. Trust me, it's worth a look. All right, let's go ahead and dive into the episode. Hello and welcome to The Worthy Podcast. I am Steve Worthy, your host and also CEO of Worthy Leadership Group, where we help black and minority clients and organizations unlock their potential by helping them grow, empower, and multiply their leadership. Good day to everyone listening, no matter where you are listening from or how you are listening. If you are taking the dog for a walk, if you are working out, we welcome you to The Worthy Podcast. Well, on today's episode, we're excited because we actually have two distinguished guests. So our first guest is Janet Cross. Janet is the managing director within the clinical economics practice for Berkeley Research Group. But she's also president of the Maryland chapter for the Healthcare Financial Management Association. She has over 25 years of experience working in hospitals and health systems. And we also have Linker Mills. Linker has been involved in the healthcare finance industry since 1996 at the hospital and also at the corporate level. He is currently the Director of Finance and Revenue Management at MedStar Franklin Square Medical Center and MedStar Harbor Hospital. We're excited to have both of them on the show today. They have some really great learnings from a workshop that Worthy Leadership Group was actually able to participate in within their organization. And we're going to talk about that. We're going to talk about what they learned. We're going to talk about what the organization learned. But more importantly, how it came to be that I was able to actually work with both of them. So we're excited about this. Let's go ahead and get into it. How many of you remember or heard the phrase, I'm only here so I don't get fined? Well, in 2015, it was a famous phrase at a press conference from the Seattle Seahawks running back, Marshawn Lynch. And this was during a conference final with the winner going to the Super Bowl. When asked question upon question from reporters, he repeated this phrase over and over again. I'm only here so I don't get fined. So here's the backstory. Having been fined over $100,000 over the last two seasons for refusing to play nice at press conferences, it was rumored that Marshawn Lynch was threatened with a $500,000 fine if he didn't show up to the press conference. So he showed up, he capitulated, but he did it in his own fashion. And this just got me thinking of how many organizations are doing that today. Here's what I mean. During these times of civil unrest, racial injustice, protest against systemic racism, 
there have been a myriad of companies making statements. You know, most of these statements have been genuine, but I wonder how many are crafting and communicating these statements just so they don't get fined. And you say fined by who? Fined by the court of public opinion. Fined by social media. Fined and being called out by their competitors. Or even fined by their customers' wallets. In this corporate leadership series, we highlight organizations and leaders who are taking action personally and within their organizations. They have a curiosity to learn, educate themselves and their organizations. They're not doing it just for the sake of public opinion or shareholders, but most important, they are taking genuine action. I'm excited about today's episode. Let's go. Well, I want to thank everybody for coming and listening to The Worthy Podcast. One of the great things that we have in store for you today is a interview with two executives, and we're going to be talking a little bit about how they took action relative to racial injustice. This is part of our bigger series, our bigger guest series, where we bring in guests uh, that are CEOs and executives. And the biggest thing that we talk about is their ability to take action within personally, but also within their organizations and how they are actually going about educating their peers, educating their organization on racial injustice and some of the things that they can actually do to take action. So we have two outstanding people today. I have actually spent a lot of time with them over the last probably month and a half. Um, One of them probably a little longer than that. We've been knowing each other for a while, but I'm just excited to have both of them here to talk a little bit about the workshop that I was able to do for their organization, but more importantly, what they took away personally and then what the organization took away as well. So I do want to introduce Jeanette Cross, and then we're going to have Linker Linker Mills, but I'm going to have Jeanette go first. And uh, ladies first, Linker, I apologize. I apologize. Always. I'm going to have uh, Jeanette go a little for, go first and tell us a little bit about herself, what she does, and then we'll, we'll of course, bring Linker on. Sure. So I'm uh, Managing Director with Berkeley Research Group, which is a healthcare consulting firm that really, actually, we have work with a lot of hospitals in Maryland. So we live, we work here, we interact with them, and we specialize a lot in population health, payment reform, um, strategy work with Maryland hospitals. I do some work with Linkers Hospital, who's part of MedStar Health, so um, very near near to that, as well as I also serve as, I'm going to say, the seventh female president of the Health Financial Management Association, so which has been around our Maryland chapter probably for over 50 years, probably even more than that, Linker. So just kind of put a little diversity out there that I do get to be lucky number seven. And so when everything started happening with COVID, just to give a little kind of context, when everything started happening with COVID in regards to really seeing disparities in terms of who was getting more ill from that and higher mortality rates, as well as the what we saw um, with George Floyd, I, Linker and I talked and we determined this was a time that, you know, look, we're seeing health disparities and care delivery and how people with comorbidities and, and how COVID is impacting them differently and what are the underlying causes, as well as the racism that you're, that I think came out with the systemic racism that came out with, with George Floyd is that both from a professional in terms of delivering healthcare, as well as from a professional development and how you interact with your peers thought it made sense to bring in, bring diversity a little bit more into our professional organization. 
and as well as take that back to our own organizations. Excellent. Excellent. Well, this next gentleman, he happens to have probably one of the best names that I've ever I've ever heard of. And I think I've told him that several times. I am recently found out that I am going to be I already know it's gonna be a grandfather, but I am going to have a grandson. And I tried to convince my daughter to name, you know, our grandson Linker. And she said no. So I apologize, Linker, you are still going to be the only one. So I just wanted to introduce uh, Linker Mills to everyone. Go ahead, Linker. Tell us a little bit about yourself. Yeah, thank you so much, Steve. I'm currently the director of finance at MedStar Franklin Square and MedStar Harbor Hospital. I've been basically kind of doing this somewhat same job now for close to 25 years, the late 90s, started out at St. Joe's. It's kind of one of those things you live and breathe and either you enjoy it or don't. It's a different world. You feel a little bit more part of healthcare when literally ICU is on the same floor as you in the hospital. That's actually where I have the privilege of being this morning. I'm actually in my office at MedStar Franklin Square. I think Jeanette covered everything very well. We as an organization, we had looked at diversity several years ago. We actually had a board committee working on it, two very involved young individuals, and they ended up getting opportunities outside the region. And so we we didn't want that to just lie. But as Jeanette said, with everything going on and the disparities I see every day and some of the things we try to work on in healthcare, it just came to the forefront that this is something we needed to address and we needed to try to reach out to our members and help our members understand the situation better as a group. Yeah, excellent. You know, one of the things that I often talk about is, especially over the last seven to eight months is around organizations, you know, making statements. We've seen so much racial injustice, of course, over the last six months, but of course, as we know, it's been happening for centuries. But the thing that has I think been a really good aspect of it are the organizations that are coming out and making statements and saying that they're against racial injustice. But the one thing that really I have to applaud you guys for and several other organizations is the fact that you guys took action. There's one thing, you know, in making a statement because, you know, maybe your competitors are doing it or somebody else is doing it and your, your board says, Hey, this is something that we need to do. But I think where the rubber meets the road is the fact that you you took action. And I was so pleased when both of you reached out and talked to me about actually going going through with this workshop. What were some of the things that you were hoping to have happened probably at the very beginning, you know, when we started talking? And then maybe some of the things that probably transpired that you kind of learned a little bit about yourself as we kind of went through the workshop a little bit. Okay, my friends. So let me ask you a question. Are you ready for your performance review? Or did you already receive your performance review and you're you're still waiting for clarity for for that score and also for the comments that you received? No matter how good or how bad you think you did. I want to help you survive. But more importantly, I want to help you thrive through what we affectionately call make a move season. It's happening right now. And it's directly tied to your review. Can I tell you a little secret Just here listening? You've got to be ready for what may come your way. You have to start setting yourself up for what you want to have happen next. To be very honest, you have more control over your success than you think you do. But you can't take this decision lightly. And to be honest, you need help getting to your best next. 
our make a move clarity calls provide well <laughs> they that's exactly what they provide they provide clarity clarity on where you are and how do you get to your best next so make sure that you click the link in the show notes to grab a time so that we can talk and i'll see you soon i know we have a very diverse group within maryland hfma not everyone is necessarily hands-on. As Jeanette said, she's got heavy hospital experience. She actually worked with me at MedStar Health years and years ago. So she realizes more. But we have some other folks that are more interested in healthcare, but don't have the hands-on. And we wanted to make sure they were aware of what's going on as well. I mean, I saw all the reports. I read Modern Healthcare. Mm. I mean, I see it. We kept track of the COVID cases, and we actually track all the patients coming through here. Now, luckily, I actually just looked at it this morning, and it looks like our what we commonly call expirations for discharges are down from what we saw in April. And I was just glancing through it. Now, sadly, tragically, we're seeing still one or two a week. But we are still seeing, you know, several dozen sometimes patients here at Franklin Square and thankfully a little bit less at Harbor now. But maybe we're getting a hold on. But that doesn't mean people aren't left with long stemming problems that they're going to have to deal with for a long time. So it's that's it's a continuing issue. And we have Mm -hmm. to make sure that everyone has access to that type of health care. That's one thing I've been proud of in Maryland for years and years. Long before the Affordable Care Act, we had the where we had to go out into the community. Now it's called a community health needs assessment. That's the formal name of it. We in Maryland had to, we've had to do that for about 15 plus years now. We had what's called a community benefit report. I'm going to say probably back as early as 2003, sometime in the early 2000s, that we had to prepare and send off to the state basically say, what are you doing for community? What type of charity care are you providing? What type of programs are you doing? What are you doing as a service for your community? And that's one thing where I'm very proud to be part of MedStar Health and part of the healthcare field. You feel like you're doing a little bit more and you're reaching out to people and trying to heal them. Excellent. Hey, Jeanette. Okay. And to, to add to that, I do think part of it was really bringing the forefront of diversity inclusion a little bit into the workplace, just because in how we interact with people and what our responsibility is in terms of as leaders within the organization, we can set the tone. It was interesting. I actually watched the movie 42 about Jackie Robinson this Mm, past weekend. mm, mm, mm. My husband and daughter had been talking about it. And I, I said, I had a little time and I watched it. And what I thought was very, was that president of that organization made a conscious decision to bring somebody up. And not only that, he mentored him of this is how you need to behave. And to me, what that says is we have to, as leaders, we are the people, the people that are in the leadership position are the ones that can really facilitate the change. It's hard for someone that's in a position, either you know, their education level or the opportunities they had in terms of internships, you know, a lot of times that's who you know and and those types of things is that we have an obligation to really create the opportunity. The person still needs to do the work and work hard, Mm -hmm. but are we creating the environment that we need to help people be successful? And so that was really a bit of my goal is to bring awareness that we're all not the same Mm -hmm. and everyone comes, has different opportunities in their life in terms of 
where they're going to be. And you really have to understand some of those challenges and what drives, I can even think of it in terms of the health disparities. What drives those health disparities? Correct. Correct. If you go into West Baltimore, it's a desert in terms of grocery stores. You can't get fresh fruits and vegetables. So it's not as easy as saying, well, they should just eat better. better. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, What's available to them? What's their life like? I actually had one client that with the COVID, you had all this COVID drive up testing and she was at a hospital in West Baltimore. And she said, we created testing for people to walk up because those people mm-hmm, don't mm-hmm, have cars. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, so mm-hmm. it's taking that step back of saying, I got to get outside my bubble of what I see and understand a little bit of what other people are dealing with and how yeah. can we kind of even the playing field a little bit. And it was interesting. My daughter's school just sent something out and I thought this really struck me. And so I jotted it down is we really need to strive to be a community of compassionate people. Mm. And that just really sat with me in terms of we are so easy to make excuses about why there's health disparities in certain areas, but we have to serve as a community and as leaders to create an environment that will allow people to be successful and help overcome obstacles. I just thought that was really telling when I read that yesterday. No, I thought they they both for sharing because I mean, as you guys saw, I was just jotting down so, so many different notes from what you said. I love how Linker talked about the community aspect, right? In the context of we've been doing this for a while, which is outstanding. I thank you for shining the light on that, Linker, because I think that's the other side is that a lot of people don't understand and they don't realize that there are organizations such as yours that are doing really great things within the community already and that they need to be highlighted. But then the other side is that Jeanette said that, well, we need to bring this internal. We need to make sure that everybody has an understanding or a better understanding a little bit. Because one of the first things that we talked about was how do we educate the leaders? And then we had, I think, 75 people on there, which was awesome. And we were able to educate and kind of bring it home and make it a little bit more uh, personal. Because I think that's how we started out. We started out the conversation with, you know, his organization is nothing but made up of individuals. And so how do you as an individual consume and, and embrace the external side of what you guys are doing in the community, but also the internal side of what you need to address too from a diversity and inclusion standpoint as well? Thank you both for that. Speaking about just from a personal standpoint, one of the things that we did talk a little bit about was around the idea of racism and what meant or how that felt. And I know that you were able to share a little bit, you know, about kind of like your uh, like aha moment as we were kind of going through this process or not just us going through this process, but over the last several months. And could you kind of elaborate a little bit on that, if you don't mind? Sure. So you had a chart, Steve that went through kind of this fear thing of I'm not racist and I personally don't treat anybody different. And I think back to growing up and, you know, I grew up in Howard County, you know, mom and dad, house, brother, sister, you know, I went to school. I did have, I probably could count on my hand how many black people I went to school with. Not that we all got along, but (laughs) I remember seeing them at my high school reunion and they're like, it was really strange. You felt a little bit fish out of water. And, And also was hearing some stories later on. And I'm like, I never would have said that. I never even knew that happened. But I was in kind of that bubble of like, everyone was kind of like me. They lived in a, I just assumed they lived in a house. They had, you know, two parents, they went to college, the parents paid for college. And so I had a lot of those, you know, which I'm very grateful for. And I'm probably even more grateful now than I was then of the opportunities that that played for me in terms of, you know, I was able to go to college, graduate, not have any debt. And it really took to when I was starting to out there working and talking to people going, you have college loans? Really? Like, 
I just was so much in my little bit of a tunnel vision and I would never treat anybody different, but I didn't really have a good awareness that mm-hmm. other people didn't quite have those advantages and how that helped me. It wasn't just hard work. It's always, you know, I had kind of the step up in order to have that progression into my career. And so I kind of moved to that middle level of a little bit more awareness. And then I think based on our discussions and everything mm-hmm. that's been happening is realizing that's not enough to be kind of aware of that. As a leader, I need to actually be proactive and do and do ch- things in terms of, you know, when I recruit for new associates mm-hmm. for my firm is that I can't just say, well, those are the only candidates that appear to me. I have to make a, a conscious effort to say, well, why aren't I getting a more diverse group of applicants? Do I need to reach out to specific clubs at specific universities or specific universities to have a much more robust pool to pull from? Still going to pull the people that are the most competent, but (laughs) why is there a reason that I tend to see, you know, one particular kind of demographic of people that apply? And so really reach out and broaden that. And then I would say on top of that is once I recruit them, what do I need to do to keep them to stay? You know, I look back on some organizations where, it was a very diverse group that came in. I did public accounting when I first came out of college. And I look back and I was like, oh, that was a really diverse group in terms of women and minorities and everything like that. But then I looked at the top and I'm like, well, God, it's just a bunch of white men, no offense, Linker. But there's that, it's two obstacles. You got to get them in the door and then you have to figure out how do you get those people to stay because that adds value. Yeah. You know, recruiting yeah. people and having turnover is challenging. You don't want to lose those good people that could be leaders. So we need, as leaders need to figure out how to, what are the barriers for that and how can we overcome that and guide those people so they can be successful? Excellent. I, you don't have to say no offense to Linker. Linker's, Linker's been a little bit like, you know, racially reconciled. Like he's gets it. He's good. <laughs> <laughs> he's learned a lot about himself through this process. And I bust Linker's chops a lot, guys. So I apologize, but he's such a good guy. And so, and he could take it. One of the things that kind of resonated with me, Jeanette, when you were talking about it, talking about the from an recruitment standpoint, was this idea of cultural, the buzzword is cultural fit, right? You know, that's what we typically say. It's like, oh my gosh, well, I'm not sure if they fit the culture. And one of the things I think we discussed a little bit was around how do you change the culture within an organization to make them be a fit within that organization. What else are you guys doing? I know you said from a recruitment standpoint, but how are you helping them like from a culture standpoint? Because I know you have a diversity board within your organization, a diversity group within your organization. Are you helping them with kind of like just some of the thought process or have they taken different steps to kind of like go after things differently? Well, within HMA, I know we want to reinvigorate as Linker talked about, we had those two really young, energetic folks. And unfortunately, they left the state, but we want to really reinvigorate that of, of really how do we be pro, very proactive in terms of engaging folks and really making people feel comfortable. We are doing it right now with in-person meetings, but when you have in-person meetings is making that effort when you're at that in-person meeting to introduce yourself and, and talk to somebody that's new, that may not know other folks. And, you know, I think as board members within our professional organization, that's our obligation. And <laughs> what we've done at some of the meetings, we've even put like stickers on so they know, hey, I'm a board member, come talk to me. But mm-hmm. sometimes that's hard for someone to come up. You know, they, they, I don't know why anyone would think Linker and I are like intimidating, but oh, I don't want to go up and talk to them is so we need to make sure we make that effort and have that dialogue. And then I also know within our organization, we just had recruiting training across the whole firm. And they actually did a, which I was very impressed with, 
a conversation on unconscious bias and mm, what that means. Mm, mm. And when you're meeting people and they actually talked about, I thought this was interesting is when the resumes come in, taking off the name, the name, yes, yes. taking off the name and where they live. So you don't get this bias of well, they're from here or they live here or what their name is and really looking at the qualifications. And I thought that was an interesting aspect to look at that. So, yeah. And I know like for us, we have um, someone who is Orthodox Jewish. So, you know, on Friday Mm. she needs to be home by sundown. And anytime we would bring meals in, we're not doing that with COVID, but we would always make sure there was something that she could eat because she keeps kosher. So, you know, are we, or are we getting something special for her and to not have events on a Friday night because she can't be there and make sure we have them on Saturday. So just little things. And, And I think also it's just, interesting to ask, you know, we shouldn't be afraid to ask questions about someone else's culture. I have someone who's originally from China that works for me. And I find it interesting talking to her when she goes back for like, well, now she's not going back, but you know, Chinese new year of, you know, well, what do you do? And trying to understand some of those traditions and things like that. And we should be open and able to have those dialogues and not be so afraid of having that conversation. You might actually learn something and, and some different traditions instead Uh, of feeling like you can't. Excellent. Excellent. No, I agree. You're talking about two major steps in what we spoke about, which is finding common ground and then celebrating your employees, which was awesome. So I'm, I'm look at you. Like, that's awesome, man. You guys are <laughs> you're rocking it out. Well, Linker, you played a big role, I think, well, both of you did um, in the workshop. And I think one of the biggest pieces that impacted me was when you read the quote by Nelson Mandela, and then you added another quote in there. But I think the commentary that you added also just kind of like impacted everybody who was listening and even myself, because I didn't know what you were going to say. And I just thought it was just extremely, you know, seriously, I was just like, I know he's going to read it, but what you said was just outstanding. You probably can't recreate that passion because I don't know if you're that good of an actor, but (laughs) could you, for all of us, maybe read that quote and then just kind of, if you had something else that you wanted to add to it, please just, and go ahead and take your time. No, absolutely, Stevie. Yeah, it was my honor to do it. And really, you know, when we talked about that, doing the quote, as with everything, I'm a bit of a nerd. In fact, okay, I just am a nerd. I want to go back and look and do a history and find out more about something. And so I did a lot of research on Nelson Mandela, I mean, a very, very interesting person who, who led, led an absolutely extraordinary life. And just to start off with a quote you had me read, and, you know, I want everybody, kind of the listeners to kind of let this one sink in a little bit. So his quote was, no one is born hating another person because of the color of his skin or his background or his religion. People must learn to hate. And if they can learn to hate, they can be taught to love. For love comes more naturally to the human heart than its opposite. Now, what really sunk into me after, you know, reading of this history and his life, I mean, here's a guy who was sentenced to prison. He was in three different prisons from 1964 to 1990. And these were not like the club med, you know, where we see kind of the, you know, political prisoners of, you know, today or the U.S. I mean, this guy was in for the first 18 years in a place called Robben Island, which was basically a lime quarry where he was working at hard labor. He was in a damp concrete cell by, it was basically eight feet by seven feet. He slept on a straw mat. Mm. 
And initially, when he first started out there, he's permitted one visit and one letter every six months. Mm. That was it. So would you or I be just slightly bitter about that? Just a little bit. Just a little. Just a little bit. Just a little bit bitter. So here's a man who went through all that. He became president of South Africa for five years. He, he turned down. He said, nope, just doing it once, five years, from 94 to 99. Now, when he came into power, a lot of people were trembling. Okay, here's a guy we locked up for all those years. You know, here he comes. We're in trouble. <laughs> and he actually gave a lot of people amnesty, and not everybody was really happy about that. It's like, okay, time for revenge. Let's go get him. You know, right. let's go get him. But he, one of his other quotes, he said, and this is the one I shared, are courageous people do not fear forgiving for the sake of peace. I mean, you think about it, if this guy could do it, if this guy could find in his heart not to hate those people that, I mean, oppression is yeah. almost, you know, a too low a word to use mm -hmm. for what happened to him. He forgave them. He worked with them. And you create a peaceful South Africa. Mm. It was hard work, and a lot of people didn't like it, but he brought people together of all different races, of all different nationalities. That really, you know, resonated with me. You know, how this guy could forgive people and find love in his heart after all that that he went through. Uh, that part just, uh, it touched me because I think, Everyone was maybe, I don't think within the workshop, there was just like, you know, I told him we're going to talk about some heavy stuff. And I think that that quote and what you said at that time, I think it just hit home to everybody around just the one of the disparity of different things that take place, whether it's, you know, race relations and things like that. But then also the ability for people to forgive and be able to embrace changes and differences within others, but more importantly, how do we just take that time and listen, right? I know Jeanette talked a little bit about that too, just how do we just take that time and listen and to understand and sometimes ask some of the hard questions and the, the questions that we don't want to ask because we may seem ignorant, if you will, or we may seem um, like, oh my gosh, I don't know if I want to ask that question. You know what? I think it's okay. I think we have to just start developing thicker skin, if you will, and for people to be able to ask a question that they may not know the answer to, and they just truly want to know as well. I did a, an interview with a gentleman, and we were talking a little bit about like recruiting and, and employment and things like that. And he said, well, isn't it like a, almost like a form of relate, reverse racism if you give the job to somebody who is Black or minority and, and the person, the other person is qualified as white? I said, well, first of all, that doesn't happen all the time. And I told him, I said, that does just, that's not like a truism. It just doesn't happen all the time. I said, but then the, the other assumption that that question makes is that, it, to Jeanette's point, is, is that everybody starts off at the same place. I told him, I said, I could beat Usain Bolt in a 100-meter race. I could beat him in a 100-meter race. He said, I'd like to see that. I said, I could beat him all day long. I said, if I start at the 80-meter mark at the starting line, I could beat him all day long. And so when you start to think about recruitment and you start to think about things that disparity, it's just a matter of, yes, to Jeanette's point, people are, we are, we, people are working harder, but you still have that gap that we still need to close and that we still need to kind of move forward on as well. So thank you both. Two last questions. And 
we talked about this when we were talked about like programs. I don't like the word program. And it talked about like diversity and inclusion programs. And I asked you both this question because I deal with a lot of people who are within the diversity and inclusion space and they are coming up against some roadblocks. And I've been just trying, I won't tell them what I've been trying to do, help them with, because I think what you were going to talk about kind of speaks to that a little bit. But if you can give a piece of advice to someone who's thinking about doing a diversity and inclusion-like initiative. I like the word initiative, right? Because I think it, it should encompass the ethos and the culture with, of the organization. But if you had to give a piece of advice or pieces of advice to someone who may be struggling with that, what would that be? You know, when I work with my clients, I always think I need to add value. How is what yeah. the work I'm doing adding value to them? So I think they need to think about that in terms of how is what I'm going to do make this organization stronger, better. And it can come from more diversity of ideas. I always like it when I recruit people. I've got people that are all different types of degrees because they all bring a different view to our work. As well as when you recruit, you want to get the best and the brightest. And if you're looking, when you're going out there and you're, you narrowed it down and you're missing a whole demographic of people, how are you getting the best and brightest if you're only folk, if your candidate pool only looks like one You know, they all look the same and they all act the same. You clearly aren't getting the best and brightest because there's a whole world out there. So take that time to to do that. And then as well, as as I talked about trying to keep people, it's a Mm. lot of work to recruit Mm. and retrain and have somebody. So you want to retain them. That adds value. And I think I know when I interview people as a partner within my firm and I have young women come in and they're, I've had multiple of them say, it's so nice to be able to see that there's a woman at the yes, top. Yeah. So, you know, the interview isn't just, they're going to have other job offers. They want to look around and realize I'm going to an organization that promotes diversity and ex- inclusion. And whether you look like them or not, you know, that's something that the people are going to notice. And if you want to recruit the best and brightest, have the multitude of ideas and retain people it needs to start with your culture and the diversity inclusion of how to make that happen from the unconscious bias to how do you reach out to interact with those people and how do you interact when they come join your organization is just going to make your place stronger. I mean, I know, Steve, I had you just because we were finance people and we love our charts and our numbers and you put <laughs> some things up there about, you know, to kind of quantify it. I think you can talk about it anecdotally, but I think yes. you can also quantify it and that to me, showing that value to the organization, it's an investment in the organization that's going to have a positive return for everybody in turn, you know, from a culture and probably even interacting with, depending on what you're doing, if you're interacting with clients, mm-hmm, mm-hmm, they want to see mm-hmm. diversity too. Mm-hmm, no, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I agree. That's the old axiom, right? Is that, oh my gosh, well, the client just wants to see people that look like themselves. Um, not in today's society, not in today's world. I think they want to know that you're embracing, you know, diversity of thought, but also diversity of talent and diversity of, as from an ethnicity standpoint as well. Linker? No, yeah, I have, Jeanette said it very well, just a very few things to add there. Yeah. I think it's kind of that thought process that, oh, uh, diverse people or diverse people are just going to suddenly show up at your door. No, you, you've mm. got to go out and do the work. You've got to find them. Uh, I know Jeanette brought up that, yeah, our chapter is over 50 years old now. I remember at the 50th anniversary dinner, we had one of our original presidents down there. One of his remarks was, you know, when I was chapter president, the only women in here wore habits. Mm. It's true. 
because they were all nuns. Yeah. Because for the Catholic healthcare systems around here, they were many times the chief accounting executive or chief financial officer. So it's a millstone. We're slowly moving, wow. and I do mean slowly, but wow. there is progress. As Jeanette mentioned, she's the seventh female president. And another thing, I think it's critical, whether it be you know association like the Maryland chapter of HFMA or a business, it's top down. So mm. in this case, it's the president and the president-elect kind of leading the way and showing it like this is the way we're going, folks. And if it has the support of the top leadership, then I think it's more accepted. Excellent. Excellent. Well, my last question is, personally, what was one takeaway? What's one or two things that you feel like you have been doing differently as a result of kind of our time together, things that you've learned about yourself, things that you've learned about the organization. What's one or two things that you guys are doing personally? I will get into the organizational side of it, right? Because I just think you've already talked about that a little bit, but I just want to know what you guys are doing kind of individually. Go first this time. Uh, I will just say a lot more listening, Mm. a lot more very, very consciously trying to see both sides of the story. I actually do have a degree in journalism before Mm. I entered this field. So that's something I've tried to pride myself on to know that, you know, what you, there was an old saying of one of my college professors that I always liked, you know, only don't believe anything you hear and only half of what you see. (laughs) Uh, You and the old axiom, there's three sides to every story, yours, mine, and the cold, hard truth. I think we all need to be careful to jump to reactions. And sometimes, you know, certain situations we have to be careful and we have to see it from that other person's point of view. And I think that's very important. And sometimes that's harder. I mean, Jeanette brought that up. You know, if you're brought up in a certain background and yes, okay, I went to college and this, that, and I had some opportunities that people had, you know, did not have, excuse me. You, know, you may not truly be able to appreciate that, but maybe if you kind of step back and think about it a little bit, uh, I think it'll you know get you closer to where you need to be as far as your thought process. Yeah, I think for me, and I, I said we all need to get a little more comfortable with being uncomfortable. We have to be okay to, you know, I don't even know if even five years ago we would be having a discussion like this. So I think what this has brought forth is to say, you know, I'm a leader, you know, as we did this is, you know, I kind of look back and going, why didn't we do this before? And, and I had conversations with my daughter about it. Hey, I'm doing this type of program. And, and, you know, to have that discussions. And as Linker said, really don't jump to conclusions, but really look at both sides of the story, even watch different news programs that bring different views and take that moment and educate yourself with the facts. You know, there's a lot of hype out there, mm. um, but taking the moment to, you know, especially with the internet, it's not that hard to research stuff, research, get the facts, make your own decisions, realize that everyone's going to be kind of coming from different views and be open to that conversation and that you may not be right. And what you thought before may not be okay, but, you know, if we're willing to open up and communicate and have that conversation and ask a question, you know, as you said, understand another culture I think on both sides, we're going to be a lot better to me. And a little bit, I also feel a little more hopeful. I feel Mm -hmm. like this Mm -hmm. is a 
turning point. Something feels different about this, mm. this time. And I think the next generation coming up, I think is views the world a little bit different. But then again, you know, I'm viewing that from Maryland. It may not be like that in other parts of the world, but I like to think that there's a little bit of hope out there that maybe we're at a turning point oh, and that absolutely. I can be part of that turning point. Oh, excellent. Steve, could excellent. I add on to yes. Jeanette's comment? Uh, yes. No, yes. I think it's excellent. I think part of being a leader, you know, whatever you're, you know, whether it be an association in your business, whatever, it is having those uncomfortable conversations and you can have them respectfully. Correct. What's your view on that? And just, I think the appreciation of the persons you're talking to, oh, you know, this person's listening to me. He wants, he or she, excuse me. He wants to understand what I'm going through, how I view this, how my world is. And I think that it does give me a little bit more hope. I see things that I wouldn't see growing up in the 1970s. Now it's better. Mm. But like I alluded to, it's a millstone. It seems like we're slowly moving and I wish it would be faster. Mm. I think we're making that progress. I just wish we could get there you know, without the millstone. <laughs> Well, thank you both. You are a testament to exactly why I started this series um, around having executives and CEOs talk about their experiences personally, but also within their organizations, but taking action, but making sure that you are doing things within the community, but that you're also bringing it back to your own organization. I truly appreciate your candor, uh, everything that you said about your personal experiences, because I think that's what resonates with people. All of our listeners, we are a community of listeners. We are learning together. We're growing together and we're taking action together. I just want to thank you personally for being on The Worthy Podcast and sharing your experiences and sharing it with our community as well. Thank you so much. Have a great day. Thanks, Steve. Thank you, Steve. So I hope that from today's episode, you learned that there are organizations out there that are taking action, right? They are taking pointed action. Personally, because one of the things that we discussed was that within the organization, and an organization is made up of people. And so when we did this workshop with the Healthcare Financial Management Association, one of the things I started by talking to them was that I wanted them to hear the workshop from an individual standpoint, right? Not just from an organizational standpoint, but from an individual standpoint. And then once we did that, we were truly able to walk away with some really good learnings. But more importantly, when they came back as an organization, their thoughts and their perspective was different. So thank you, Linker and Jeanette, for just a great interview. But also thank you for being leaders within your organization and organization and leaders within the community for everything that you have done to educate yourself, educate your organization, but more importantly, take action. Taking action is the most important part and creating a dialogue so that we can combat systemic racism. Thank you both. If you are an organization that receives value from today's episode, here's what I ask for you to do. I would ask for that you set up a discovery call with me. Um, You can go to www.worthyleadershipgroup.com and set up a discovery call and we can talk about your organization. We can either talk about a workshop, but we can also talk about 
what we can do from an executive coaching standpoint with some of your leaders within your organization. I'm excited to work with companies that are looking to take action, companies that are looking to invest in their leadership, but more importantly, they're looking to take action and change up their organizational mindset to understand what leadership equity is and to actually go after it and do things differently within their organization. So if you feel that that's your organization, please don't hesitate to set up a free discovery call. And I'm excited to talk to you very soon. And as always, I want to close us out with a quote. I'm just going to use the same quote that Linker used in our episode, because I just think it is apropos to everything that we spoke about within the episode and everything that this series is going to embody. And it is from Nelson Mandela. It says, no one is born hating another person because of the color of his skin or his background or his religion. People must learn to hate. And if they can learn to hate, they can be taught to love. For love comes more naturally to the human heart than its opposite. Once again, that was from Nelson Mandela. Hey, if you receive value from today's episode, please don't hesitate to leave us a review. I would greatly appreciate any feedback that you have for us. Also, if you have a suggestion for a episode, a topic, or something that you want us to present to our community of listeners, please don't hesitate. We are super open to it. Um, all of our content is curated by our community of listeners. So we thank you in advance for that. Thank you for listening to The Worthy Podcast. Have a great day and God bless. Okay, okay, okay. Before you go, before you go, hey, I just wanted to say thank you so much for being a massive part of Retail Leadership with Steve Worthy. I got to tell you the ideas, concepts, and also the challenges that you guys face out there as retail leaders, you know, it keeps us going. It is the fuel that helps us um, create these podcast episodes. And we just want to thank you so much. Please, if you have more ideas and things that you're dealing with or struggling with that you want to hear about, let us know as well. Also, if you're interested in working with Worthy Retail, let us know. If you want to learn more about the campus, we have links in the description as well. So, hey, I will see you in the next episode. Have a great day and God bless.